We remember that we are reflecting the generosity of God and we are also responding to the generosity of God. And now I'd like to highlight a few announcements from our Reality Ventura newsletter about what's happening in the life of the church. First of all, all the fellas in the room just say, hey. There you go. We are having a men's retreat this year in March, from March 12th, uh, 10th through the 12th. The theme is servanthood. And so we are going to be gathering up at Thousand Pines Christian Camp, like I said, March 10th through the 12th, and just exploring the topic of servanthood, following Jesus into this life of servanthood, talking about what that means and why that is good news for us as men who follow Jesus. So this is the time to not just save the date anymore. It's time to register, fellas. You can do that now on our website or on the Church Center app. Next, we are having a blood drive next Sunday. We try to do this uh, every year at some point. It's a way that we can give back to the community. There is a huge need for blood donors in Ventura County. And so we partner with an organization who is the main supplier for all the hospitals in Ventura County, as well as Santa Barbara County. And this is a way that we can practically and physically, literally physically, uh, do something to serve those people who, some people who are in need in this specific way. And so if you're willing to do that, if you are physically able to do that, then bring an ID next week and they will be here from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the parking lot. Next, our community groups start back up this week. We believe that community is in our church is not just a program. It's not just something that we do, but it is a lifestyle. To follow Jesus and be devoted to him also means that we are devoted to one another in community. As we live this out, Jesus tells us that we will grow more and more to be like him and reflect who he is to the world around, this, around us. Our community groups relaunch next week. So whether you've participated in the church for some time or you're a brand new follower of Jesus or you're new to the church or maybe you're just exploring the Christian faith, we want to encourage you to sign up and get plugged into a community group. To find out more about community groups, you can go to realityventura.com, the Church Center app, or you can go to the Connect Desk right after the gathering. There will be some people there to share with you more about community groups. Next, giving reports for any giving that was done in 2022 will be available at the end of this month. On January 27th, if you gave through the Church Center app, you could scroll down, go to My Giving, and then you'll be able to access your statement for tax purposes there. If you're not a Church Center user yet, your giving report will be emailed to you or be sent to you physically. If you have questions, some of you will have questions. If you have questions about this, you can email givingreports at realityventura.com. Dot com. Lastly, I want to remind you that for everything going on in the church, what's happening in the life of the church, uh, get the Church Center app. You can download that through your smartphone. It's free. Search Reality Ventura, and all of our information about what's going on in the life of the church is there. Also, if you've not signed up for our, our weekly newsletter, I encourage you to do that. Go to our website, click on About, and then the newsletter, and you can sign up for that. Today is going to be a little bit different of a Sunday. It's a special Sunday, so I'd like to invite up Tim to tell us more about that. Thanks, Dominic. Yes, indeed, today is a special Sunday. Next week, we are starting a new series. Excited to share more about that next week. But as we turn the corner into 2023, we want to take the opportunity today to do a few things. First, we want to spend a few moments, as we do annually, so if you're new to the church, this is actually something we do every year at the beginning of the year, to take a look back at the last 12 months from a 
practical standpoint, particularly with regards to our finances here at Reality Ventura. But we also, just as a significant investment is made, as you'll see this morning, into the global efforts of the gospel, we actually felt compelled to take today this opportunity to highlight how we as a church invest, not only locally, but globally, and then we'll explore in a shorter sermon after that from God's word of why we invest in global ministry. So I'm gonna take a few moments uh, now to provide a financial year in review. And then I'm going to invite up Jen Weir, who is our global ministry coordinator. She's going to spend some time showing us how we are involved as a church in the nations and how you can get involved. And then finally, again, we will spend some time in God's word through a shorter sermon to be reminded of why this all matters and why it matters for you personally. Now, we do all this for several reasons. We do this Practically, when we go through our finances for the sake of transparency, so that you are aware and informed as a congregation about what's been invested into the church and how we have stewarded it. But we also want to talk about this by way of encouragement, that you would be encouraged that God is at work through the generosity of the people. And we also want this to be a vision day of how we are invested, not only locally, but globally. So let's pray together. We want us to see all these practical things as well as our time in the word as being connected. So let's pray right now and let's ask God to open our hearts as we learn today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care about the most global matter to the most personal matter. You care what's going on about what's going on in the nations, and you care about what's going on in our own lives. You care about this church. And I pray that today that you would link all of those themes together as we learn about how your people have been generous and how it's been stewarded, and as we learn about how we as a church are invested in global ministry. I pray that it would stick with us, that we would catch that global vision and as we learn from your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and remind us of what our place is in your mission. So Spirit of God, would you move today? We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There is so much fruit that has happened in this last year, and much of it cannot be measured through a graph or a chart. We've had so many people that, that we know of who have made commitments to follow Jesus. If you've been a part of the church, you've seen our different baptisms throughout the year of people who have publicly professed Christ. You've seen how our youth and kids ministry has grown. You've seen individuals mature and grow in their own lives and become a witness for the gospel in their community. So much of that you just can't put in a chart. But the finances represent our organized effort to cultivate this fruit in our church. So they are absolutely important. These numbers reflect an investment and an act of generosity from you, the congregation. And Paul the Apostle reminds us that is an evidence of grace. Hear his words from his letter to the church in Corinth. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, speaking of a church that gave radically, this is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It is the grace of God at work in our lives that produces generosity. And it is the generosity of you, of the church, that provides the means by which we can carry out our efforts to spread the gospel, teach and equip equip people within our church, care for people, provide opportunities for training and to reach out both locally and globally. And and even as practical as paying for our building and salaries for people who serve on staff. And for helping us steward these resources, I'm so thankful for our board, our board of trustees who work so hard in helping us as a church be good stewards of what we have. And in speaking with our financial advisor, John Hughes in particular, who serves on our board, here's how he summarized what he saw practically over the last year. As our church has steadily grown, generosity has steadily grown. That was his headline, that was his takeaway. So by way of informing and encouraging you, here is a snapshot of the fiscal year end. Um, on the slide, which goes up through September of 2022. So it doesn't capture the last four calendar months. So for 2022, giving fiscal year was $1,983,187, which is insane because that's almost a half a million dollars more than last year, which is a 26% increase of generosity in our church, which is like, remarkable. Amen. That's the great, yeah, we can praise God for that. It's incredible. Abounding in generosity. Now, some of this increase in giving is due to increase in attendance. Uh, Since Easter of last year, we were slowly adding more and more chairs, and so more and more people have filled them. But what that represents, this isn't just about like a number, it's about what the number represents. It's a sign of even greater participation. For the people who have been around at the church are getting more and more involved in an intentional way. Let me give you one example of that. Our community group participation. Now, if you read the statistics about attendance in smaller groups in churches across America, you'll find that the statistics are usually very low. So the average church in America, who attend, a member that attends on a Sunday, very rarely would they join in a smaller group environment, like a Bible study, a life group, small group, community group, whatever they're called. It's, the number is usually around 10 to 20%. But this past year, we've seen our community groups grow upwards of th- over 350 participants, which is insane because that's basically half our church. So that's incredible of people getting involved relationally and studying the word of God together and praying together. It's a sign of investment and participation. And the same is true of giving. It's a sign of investment and participation, which is incredible. It's God at work. Now, practically, how did people give? Well, there were 425 givers. Remember, that also represents um, households as well. 
And the total amount of gifts was 4,828, which is almost 1,000 more than the previous year. Also incredible. The average gift was $359, and the average amount given per person was just over 4,000. So that's a breakdown of how people were giving in the church. Again, this is a reason to rejoice because, as Paul says, it is an evidence of God's grace. Generosity is one of the evidences that God is at work in our lives. And when we see this, we're blown away by it. We're blown away to see people who meet Jesus, they, they follow Jesus, they join the church, and it's reflected in their participation, their service, and even in their generosity. And so for all this, we're so thankful to God, especially in a context in which the last few years have been so uncertain and difficult. We are so grateful. But now the question is, well, what has been done with these funds? How has the money been spent? Well, to put it simply, we've been reinvesting these funds back into the ministry, into the staff, into the facilities, caring for present needs as well as future needs, and in ministries beyond the church. We'll call it kingdom investment. This is how the money was spent. Again, this is important for transparency so that you're informed and aware, but it's also for encouragement. So a big chunk of that, as you might imagine, is spent on people. It's another way of simply saying employment. The people who work for the church, both full-time and part-time, we've responded with your generosity by reinvesting in the staff. We wanna make sure that the staff who's already with us is taken care of. We also wanna make sure that key positions are filled. For example, over the last year, we've added a kids ministry coordinator to help with our growing kids ministry. We recently added a pastoral assistant for junior high because uh, the, the high school and junior high is just growing and that's awesome. And there are other examples of this. We wanna make sure that our staff is taken care of and that we are rightly staffed to serve you. Another large chunk is what we call operations. That took 22% of our spending. Now, that's all the practical stuff we have to buy. That's ministry supplies. That's kids' ministry supplies, which is a lot. If any of you do kids' ministry, I think Amazon should be paying us for the amount of things that get delivered to our office on a daily basis. That Anna, who's doing an incredible job directing our kids' ministry, tons of supplies, youth supplies. If we need sound system or lighting, like all of that is included in operations as well as other equipment and training in our staff. That's all that 22%. And then, of course, there's our, our building, which is 13% of our budget. That's paying for the building and the maintenance on the building. Our savings, we've been able to put away 9% this last year, which is up from 5% in the previous year, which is awesome because we have things we believe God is calling us to do in the future. And then lastly, 11% was given to global and other support. And that's where I want to land this morning as we do this year in review, to take an opportunity of how and why we invest in the nations. Let's call it our global and missional investment. If you're new to the church, you may not know that out of everything given to the church, we intentionally set aside 10% of that to mission and ministry beyond our ministry here in Reality Ventura. 
primarily to the nations. So in the same way that an individual might set aside their own personal money to be generous towards the church, we as a church set aside 10% primarily towards global and other missional investment. So of all of our giving the last year, $198,026 was set aside for global support, which reflects 10%. Of that amount, 172,000 has been sent out to global partners. You'll learn more about them in a moment. That money was spent. And then in addition to, and on top of that, 42,000 was set aside for other partnering ministries, even domestic ministries, such as Ventura County Pregnancy Clinic. We invested heavily in them this last year financially, as well as one of our church plants, Reality Honolulu, our more recent church plant, we invested in them and a lot of other smaller investments. So as you can see from that number, this is a big deal for us. It's not just like we, we take a little bit of change on the side and say, oh yeah, maybe we do something beyond the four walls of this church. This is an intentional investment in the global ministry of the gospel. And we want you to see these numbers, again, for transparency, but also for encouragement. Um, you don't need to have written all of them down because we're going to send it to you in our weekly newsletter that'll go out on Friday. If you're not yet signed up, now would be a great time to sign up to the weekly newsletter. You'll get this in your inbox. So it's important for you to know for practical reasons, but also for deeper reasons. We see this as stewardship. As Christians, we understand that we are stewards, not owners of what God has given to us. And so we want to make sure that we are stewarding these resources well to serve you and the nations. And again, take this as an encouragement because all of this is an evidence of the grace of God working in your life. It is also a reflection of faith. It takes faith to give and to invest when things are difficult. In a time in which it would be very easy to tighten our grip on our time and talent and treasure, we are all demonstrating that we're trusting in God's purposes and we're invested in his mission, not only to my neighbor, but also to the nations. And so, in an effort to show how we're invested in the nations and what it means for you, for those of you who are new and you may not have yet been aware of how invested we are or the ways in which we are. I am now going to invite up uh, Jennifer Weir, who's our global ministry coordinator. She's gonna give us a snapshot of our global investment and then she's gonna do our scripture reading and we'll have a shorter sermon. So let's welcome Jennifer Weir as she shares with us how we're involved in the global efforts. Thank, Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Tim. What a warm welcome. Thank you. Um, Good morning. So again, as Tim mentioned, my name is Jen, and I'm the Global Ministry Coordinator here at Reality Ventura. My goal for the next few minutes is to show you how we as a church are invested in global ministry. But I also want to begin and end by showing how you can invest in global ministry. When it comes to global ministry, every believer in any church has the opportunity to pray, give, send, and go. That is the framework I want you to be thinking about as I present how we are invested as a church. Now, everyone is not called to do all of these things. 
so you can say, phew. But everyone can do at least one of these things. So years ago, I began to ask God how he was calling me. And it was after a series of short-term mission trips in 2002 that God put it on my heart that one day I would help send others by fulfilling the role at a church as a global coordinator. And did you know that this morning over Reality Ventura was a double rainbow? Not kidding you. And so God is so kind to remind me and all of us that his promises are true. And that was a sweet reminder. So as I walk through our global ministry, be asking yourself, how is God calling me to be involved? So here are the people and places that we're invested in. The people involved in global ministry include our pastor and elder, Chad Amico, myself, Jennifer Weir, as the global coordinator, and we have a sending team who I'm very grateful for. They are the point people to all of our global workers. And of course, last but not least, our global workers are part of our global ministry. They include our partners, friends, and connections. And I'll tell you more about that soon. So our global vision here at Reality Ventura is to join God in the advancement of gospel-centered global endeavors with an emphasis on the least reached peoples. And at the sending team, as I mentioned, is comprised of men and women who serve as liaisons between each global worker and the global coordinator as their point people. They set up patterns for communication, communicating with them that fit the needs of each global worker. Monthly sending team meetings to discuss our global workers, global events throughout the year, like prayer for the nations, um, our, our, our monthly prayers that we have for our workers. Um, and then also things like receiving heart letters. And we have all these things that happen throughout the year. We discuss these things at our sending team monthly meetings. Our global workers are in three relational categories. First, we have our global partners. They are birthed here from Reality Ventura. They're, we communicate with them on a monthly basis, the global partner and their point person. They're financially supported monthly, and we currently have five global partners, praise God. Our global friends are seasoned workers, meaning they have five or more years experience on the field. They don't necessarily have to be birthed from reality, but they're very relationally connected with Reality Ventura. We, they, they communicate with a point person and they receive monthly financial support. We currently have one global friend with the goal of adding more. And last but not least are our global connections. They are not necessarily birthed from Reality Ventura, but they're very relationally connected. They communicate with a point person, and they are given financial support. Occasionally, it's usually more project-based. We currently have three global connections. So now that you have a better understanding of our global vision and our global relational categories, I'm going to briefly introduce you to our nine global workers who are faithfully serving across the world. They are grouped by continent and region. First in North America, in mainland Mexico, are Gamiel and Rebecca and their two children. They have been a global partner since 2020, and they are here this morning. Gamiel and Rebecca, where are you? Gamiel and Rebecca, thank you for being here. 
They are currently on a home visit through the middle of January, and they will be at a table in the foyer after the service, so please go and say hi to them. Next in North Africa, so moving to Africa, we have Eric and Carissa and their four children. They've been a global partner since 2019. In East Africa, in the country of Uganda, we have Kaya Children's Home. They are a global connection. Dan and Jody, who oversee Kaya, attend Reality Ventura, and they will also be at a table at the foyer after the service. So go and say hi to them. Also in East Africa, in the country of Ethiopia, we have Adam and Michelle and their th three children who serve at Soto Christian Hospital. They have been a global partner since 2016. I'm gonna move on to the Middle East. First in the Middle East, we have Stephen and Nicole and their two children. They are a global connection. Also in the Middle East, we have Garrett and Kim and their three children. They are a global connection to Reality Ventura. Finally, in the Middle East, we have Wes and Nat and their two boys, and they have been a global partner since 2017. I'll move us along to Asia. In Central Asia, we have Justin and Priya and their three boys. They've been a global partner since 2017. And last but not least, in Southeast Asia, in the country of Thailand, we have a global friend, Ron and Bonnie Manuel. Ron has been faithfully serving at Bonnie Manuel, caring for orphans, and sharing the gospel for over 40 years. If you know him, you know him. <laughs> and his stories are amazing, so get to know him. After the service, there will be a table in the foyer with prayer cards for all of our global workers, as well as some of the point people from the sending team to help answer any questions you may have or give you additional information on our global workers. So please stop by our tables. Now that you know more about our global workers, I also want you to have an idea of Reality Ventura's global practices. First, we have prayer for the nations. On the third Sunday of each month, as you may have heard, and this month in January, we'll be praying for Eric and Carissa in North Africa. It'll be right here in front of the stage next Sunday, January 15th, between services. Next, we have Night for the Nations. These are occasional events when our global workers are home for a visit. We gather to hear about what God is doing in their lives. We enjoy food, fellowship, worship, and a time of prayer. In November, we honor IDOP, which is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. In March and April, we pray during the month of Ramadan. We occasionally have global movie nights, family engagement events, like a Muslim prayer night, and we have short-term gospel-focused trips, even YWAM, it can be considered um, a short-term gospel-focused trips. Finally, we have a sending process for long-term global workers, and I'll explain to you what that means, what that looks like, what that actually looks like. So for those who desire to go, either short-term or long-term, we wanna make sure to communicate that those who have a heart, that we have a process, and that you can complete a heart letter, and you can find that on our website. And so after you would complete a submit a heart letter, 
Someone on the global team, a point person, will be in contact with you to follow up. Then there'll be some forms, depending if you're going on a short-term trip or a long-term trip. And maybe it's just that you want to talk to someone a little bit more about what what you're desiring to do, what you feel God calling you to do. There may be a budget sheet to complete. And finally, if you're going long-term, there's a sending organization. And we actually have a sending organization here today, and that's Frontiers. And there'll be a table in the foyer. So please stop by and find out more about Frontiers. So for more information, you can visit the global website, or you can email me. And my information is on the global website. So I hope that you were able to identify areas that we at Reality Ventura have been praying, giving, sending, and going. And as I mentioned at the beginning, everyone is not called to do all of these things, but everyone can do at least one of these things. So as you asked yourself, how is God calling me to be involved at this time? Perhaps he is nudging at your heart to be involved in a new way this year. In Acts 1.8, it says that you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is our city and our neighborhoods, throughout Judea, which is our country and state, in Samaria, which is our surrounding states and countries around us, and even those that we may not like or prefer, and to the ends of the earth. So please visit the global tables at the foyer after the service. You can pick up a global connection card from our workers, see some artifacts, and meet a representative from Frontiers, an organization that some of our global partners are working with. So at this time, we're going to turn our hearts to hear from God's word about his heart for the nations and what it has to do with us. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 5. I will be reading verses 1 to 10 from the NIV. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God's 
for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is God's word. Thank you, Jen. You may be hearing this wondering, well, what does that have to do with me? You might even be here for the first time. You're not yet a Christian. You're exploring Christian faith, and you're like, what is my place in the world, or why should I even participate in this? I think we'd all agree that we are living in a great moment of global uncertainty. You cannot reflect on this past year without the overwhelming sense that things are fragile. Politically, economically, and socially. Depending on what news outlet you read, most of them, it's usually not like a cheery report that you hear in the morning. You know, and if you, if you were to go to a, like a gym or a place where they have all the TVs up there, basically no matter which, you know, I don't care if you're left, right, on the political spectrum, it's like, we're all going to die. It's like, okay, good, it's Monday morning and we're all going to die. You know, like it's raining in Southern California, like it's all over. <laughs> you cannot escape the feeling that things are fragile. That has left many people fearful, divided, and even just outright confused. And you could add your own story. How do you process what's going on in the world right now? War, famine, political an ideological division. How is it that you are processing that right now? What are the sources of information that are fueling the way that you think about your life, this nation, and the world? Now, there are a lot of questions that come to mind. Some of us might say, well, where is all this going? How do I move forward? If you're not yet a Christian, you're thinking like, gosh, should I be optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Should I be optimistic or pessimistic about my own life? Or even for us as a church, as Reality Ventura, you're like, what does it mean? How do we respond to all of this? Well, there seems to be two common ways that people respond to global issues. One is you don't think about them at all. You hear the news, you read in the paper, you're like, yeah, it's too much, I'm out. Like, I'm gonna turn that off, I'm just gonna like my head down, I'm gonna work, gotta pay the rent, try to save a little, California's expensive, you know, just gonna like, I'm just gonna stick to my thing. What do I have to do with anything happening out there? I understand that response. It can just feel overwhelming, like it's just way too much. But another way that people often respond is by looking at everything through the lens of media. It's the news that you read, the the media that you watch, whatever channel it is that you subscribe to. It's only looking at the nations and the state of the world and your role in it through the lens of modern media. But I would like to remind us that there is another way. Imagine having a perspective on the world that is both totally 
realistic and radically hopeful at the same time. Can you imagine that? Some of us were like, oh, I'm a realist. Like, we're all gonna die, that's for sure. I listen to this podcast telling us when we're all gonna die. Like, okay, we, we get it. And then other people are like, no, it's fine. We just need another like song, like we are the world, like another number one hit banger that everyone comes together and re, you know, sings together and we're like, yes, we're the world. Well, that didn't really turn out too well, did it? So some are like, oh, I'm realistic. Others are like, I'm hopeful. Imagine being totally realistic and radically hopeful at the same time. And imagine you get to be a part of that hope. Well, that is precisely the perspective that the Bible gives to us. In the book of Revelation, we are given a glimpse of the future, and it reveals God's heart and purpose for all the nations and you. And so from this text, I want to offer three reasons that you should care about the nations. Three ways to think about the nations. And the first is this. We share the same need. When you think about the world, you must know that we all share the same need. I'm sure the apostle John, the author of Revelation, was overwhelmed just writing down these words, which contain all kinds of visions with vivid imagery and symbols, all of which depict a literal new creation. They give us a glimpse into the future, which should shape how we live in the present. But this chapter begins with a twist. Here in the midst of this heavenly gathering, John's reaction is surprising. Look at verses one through four. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals? And to open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. I don't know what you would imagine when you see a heavenly vision, but in the midst of it, here is John in the midst of this vision, and what is he doing? Weeping, sobbing. Why? To put it simply, because the world needs to be redeemed, and in this moment, at the beginning of Revelation 5, he can't see anyone who can fix it. Now, to understand this scene, which is important, a little explanation is helpful. 
All the Bible commentators believe that the scroll in the scene of Revelation 5 represents the title deed to the earth. Much like you would have a title deed to a property or even, let's say, a vehicle. To open the seal or to have your name on that, that seal would be like having the legal right to regain a lost or stolen property. If you're an owner of a car, you have a pink slip that you got from the DMV, and if that car was stolen, and then later on it was found, and they called you up and say, hey, we need you to come down to the office to prove that you are the owner of this 2006 Honda Accord with missing hubcaps, which would be mine, I would unfold and un unlock the seal, the scroll, that pink slip saying, I am the owner of the slightly beat up 2006 Honda Accord. I have the right. And they would say, you have the right. Here is the car. Friends, in the same way as John is hearing about the scrolls, they represent the title deed to the earth. Who can fix it? Who's the one that can rightly redeem and reclaim? And when he looks around, he doesn't see anyone. Who is the one or what is the group with the moral and spiritual power and authority to redeem and to restore the world. Who can fix all the problems that we see today? It's a question that many are asking. But when John looks around, he sees no one. Friends, this is an incredible statement. He looks around in heaven and in this moment, he sees no one. That means no hero from the Bible. Oh, if we could just bring back David. No. No angel of heaven. No earthly king. No leader. No prophet. No politician. Dramatic pause for emphasis. No political party. No company, no brand. Well, Apple can save us. No, they're not going to save us. Maybe Amazon, Google, they'll save us. No, they're not going to save you. No brand, no style of church. No particular worship team or style of worship. No one has the authority in this world to redeem and to restore. This is massive. On the surface, when we look out at the nations today, there are a lot of different issues. There are issues particularly related to the East. There are issues particularly related to the West. There are issues within developed countries. There are issues in developing countries. We all have different histories, different stories of, of origin. All of those things are real and all the needs represented in this vast globe require unique attention. But on a deeper level, the Bible reminds us again and again and again, over and over, that we all share the same fundamental need to be reconciled to God. When you look out at the globe, and when you hear about the news and you look at the conflicts that are happening, those are real problems. But never forget that beneath the surface, we all share the same need. 
we must be reconciled to God. We are all fallen in sin. We are all separated from God. Our destiny would result in eternal separation from him. We are all broken. We are a sinful world. We all share the same problem. And this is key because all the conflict that we see on the surface whether you're hearing about war between Ukraine and Russia or another part of the world or even something more local here, all the conflict that you see on the surface stems from a conflict within the soul. It's all the result of the fact that we are living in a broken world. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There are conflicts like the wars going on right now that require resolution and reconciliation will take particular movement and people to address that. But beneath the surface, the Bible reminds us that we are all in need of being reconciled to God. And that includes you. Why should we care about the nations? Because we all share the same problem. We all share the same need. When you read about or hear about what's happening in another country, though very different in many ways, we are all part of a broken humanity that shares the same need. It has a great leveling effect. We all share the same problem. This also, by the way, keeps you from any sense of pride as if you had a more, you know, that you were a better human than another human. Like, make no mistake, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason you should care about the nations, the perspective we need, comes from this first point, that we all share the same need. But it goes further. Secondly, the reason you should care and have a perspective is because we share the same hope. So here is John. He sees the title deed to the earth and he looks around. Can anyone, can anyone fix the world? Can there be a particular group or an ideological movement or that random bestseller on Amazon or at Barnes and Noble's like, who can fix all of this? He looks around and he says, no one can deal with the most fundamental need of the nations except for one. You knew I was going there. Revelation chapter five, verse five and six. As John is weeping, one of the elders says to me in this heavenly vision, do not weep. Or as my old Bible college Greek teacher taught me when he was explaining this passage in the Greek, it's stop your crying, John. <laughs> That'd be a literal translation. Stop your crying, John. Why? See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. John lifts his eyes. He hears lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looks in hope of seeing this promised victor, a lion who would conquer. And yet he turns and in a shocking scene sees a cut-throated lamb. 
The lamb, of course, played an important role in the Old Testament. The blood of the lamb was offered as a sacrifice for sin. The people of Israel were taught at the very first Passover that they would be, when the lamb was slain, they would be covered by the sacrifice of another. This was all pointing towards and of God's rescue plan so that when you get into the beginning of the New Testament, John the Baptist, who was called by God as a forerunner to the promised Savior, when he saw Jesus, the Son of God, come into our world, begin his public ministry, he said, looking at Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Ventura County only. No. Who takes away the sin of these United States of America? No, no. Who takes away the sin of what? The world. The nations. He is the one. This Jesus, the Son of God, is described in this heavenly vision as both lion and lamb, which shows us the great paradox of Christianity. That victory, what we long to see in this world, would come through what would look like a defeat. That true power comes through what would look like weakness. And evil is conquered through the sacrificial suffering of Jesus Christ. He is worthy because he is our perfect substitute. He is both fully God and fully man. The one who came into this world that we just celebrated at Christmas to live in our place, to die on a cross for my sin, your sin, and for all the sins of the world. And he rose again from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he will one day come again. He alone is worthy. He is the hope for humanity. He is the solution for this fundamental problem we all share. It might be an obvious point to make in the church, but I think it's key because one of our biggest temptations is to place our hope in the wrong things or to misplace our hope in lesser solutions. See, the Bible's clear. The greatest need is to be delivered from sin and to be made new from the inside out. That is the deepest problem. If we don't see this need clearly, we will begin to place our hope in all the wrong things or in lesser things. And this is a temptation even for the church. It's easy for the church to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but we start emphasizing something other than him. We start making it about another kind of ideology or a particular uh, agenda. But the minute we start emphasizing something else as our greatest hope is the minute we lose sight of our mission to the world and our power to do it. That's what scripture says. So in thinking about the global effort of the church, you might be aware that there are bleak times in church history. If you're visiting with us this morning, you might say, all this emphasis on the nations, doesn't that sound like a little imperialistic and whatnot? 
Now, no doubt there are many examples throughout the global effort of the church in history where there were mistaken endeavors, often with costly results. There were some movements you can read about that rather than emphasizing the gospel, they wanted to bring a culture or they wanted to bring an ideology or maybe their own tradition. And it was often wrapped up in economic and maybe even political motives. We can read history to see the damage that that has caused. And it might make you ask, wait a minute, like what role do I have in the nations? What right do I even have to think about the globe? Why does this church even have a global thing? Why why should we even be thinking about this? What right do we have? Well, friends, the only answer is the gospel. Because we share the same need across the globe, we also share the same hope. There's only one hope for humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. And therefore, anyone who has trusted in Jesus has a place within this mission. See, oftentimes, many people, when they hear global ministry in the church, you must think that's for the brave and the bold, like, oh, only great people do those things. Listen to me. If you have a pulse and you're hearing my voice now and you trust in Jesus Christ, you have a place in that mission. It's good news, right? You may not have to go somewhere else. It may just be as simple as praying and giving. But if you're alive and you know Jesus, you're a part of it. This is for ordinary people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Read the earliest history of the church recorded for us in the book of Acts in the Bible. It is astonishing. The uneducated and untrained people turned the world upside down. Why? Because they talked about Jesus. They talked about Jesus. We need this hope, friends. We need this perspective. For a lot of us, we just get discouraged. Like, let me tell you right now, you're not gonna get this hope from Fox News or CNN, but you will get it from the word of God. I was just at a conference this last week on global mission, and I went with a few of our staff members. They did a whole hour-long panel on the Ukraine, and they began the panel by saying, we're gonna tell you what you're not gonna hear on the news. We're gonna tell you of the, the millions of refugees that there are other, other men and women placed. We heard a whole panel of people in, in Hungary and Germany and other countries who were there feeding for them, caring for them, preaching the gospel. Well, what about the Ukrainians still there? Listen, there are churches specifically run for men and women who are 75 and older in the Ukraine because they can't leave. So you know what Christians are doing? They're running churches. There's one church we heard about where there's over 100 people. They're all over 75 and they came for food and heat and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the move. It's incredible to hear these stories. You're like, lives are being changed. People are being cared for. And in these darkest moments, God is at work. It was incredible to be reminded of what's happening in all the nations around the globe. That's the perspective I need. That's the perspective that you need. Totally realistic but radically hopeful because we're saying to the world that Jesus is our hope. He's the only one that meets the truest and deepest need of every person. And when we place him at the center of our lives and at the center of our church, he brings us together forever. And that's my last point. We share the same future. You should care about the nations because we share the same need We share the same hope in Jesus Christ, and because we do, we share the same future. 
for the first time in this chapter, there's another circle around the throne that is acknowledged. And we see it here in the heavenly response that causes John to, to look around. And what does he see? He sees an international community all gathered around Jesus. Look at verse nine. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from where? Every tribe and language and people and nation. It was God's purpose to save and ransom people from every nation, every background. And here we see that they are brought together and changed forever. Jesus is the source of our mission. He's the source of our unity and our transformation. That's what's pictured in this international gathering around Jesus. And what we see here in that future moment is that they are united in common worship. Why? Because they have a common savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about being a follower of Jesus is when you get to travel and you meet other men and women from other countries, you might speak a different language. There's all these like cultural barriers. There's all these like hidden rules that every country has. And oh, believe me, we have them here in the, the United States. And there's a lot of things that would separate you. You don't even share the same cultural heritage. But when you find out they're a Christian, you're like, oh, my brother, my sister, we're family because we have a bond that is deeper than blood that will last into eternity. Friends, trip out on this. In the future, when you breathe your last and you're in glory with Jesus Christ, there will be people from other nations who are closer to you then than the dearest friend you have now in Ventura County. Reflect on that. This is a part of our, our birthright, our heritage. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I belong to a family that is international and eternal, and that is remarkable. We share the same future. Because believing in Jesus, we find a shared identity, which leads to a new unity and a glorious diversity that goes all the way into the future. And that's an important point, because the future matters now. Because Jesus is in the process of sending us out as he makes us more like him. And that transformation is captured in verse 10. In the song, they say, you, Jesus, have made them, your people, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Church, God has not withdrawn from world affairs, but through his church across the globe, through his people, he continues to exercise his royal and priestly functions, kingdom and priests. What does that mean? It means that he's called us to convey his presence and his blessing as we share the good news about Jesus with our neighbor, and with the nations. This is your calling. If you're a Christian, this is your birthright. 
and he empowers you for it. He has made us a kingdom, speaks of our royal role, and priests, that mediatory role, that beautiful praise. His, his work, Jesus' work, makes you feel as royal as a ruler and as clean as a priest. That's what happens when you trust in Jesus. If you're looking to know that, that you belong and that you have a place, you need to trust in Jesus. If you want to know that you can be forgiven of all of your sin and adopted and accepted, you need to believe in Jesus. Because though we are sinners lost and dead in our sins, the moment you believe in Jesus, you are a part of his kingdom of priests, where we now have a global mission to convey his presence and blessing as we share the gospel. But we never forget that all of our power to do so comes from Jesus. It's as we center on Jesus and worship Jesus and glory in Jesus that we are changed. As we glory in him, we receive from him that we might reflect him to the world. His word does its cleansing work in our hearts and our minds where we need to begin today by asking for forgiveness, by asking for healing, by asking for strength, by praying and asking God for guidance so that we might live on mission in this world. He's the one who governs us. He's the one who empowers us. And when we put him at the center, just like in Revelation 5, there is joy. And the way in which we are reminded of our calling and renewed in that calling and sent on mission is when we say, Jesus, you are worthy. Which means to take in, to behold means to, to take into your hearts the one who has sacrificed everything for you and given you a new life. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, now is the time. The only way to truly understand the world, your place in it, to know that you are forgiven and that you will be with him forever is to trust in Jesus. I implore you to do so today. Maybe some of us need to be reminded. We need to take up our call. Maybe some of you have never understood. You have a mission. Take up your call as a part of the kingdom and priests of God to be empowered to reflect God's presence in the world. Well, where do you start? Well, it starts today by just praying and saying, God, here am I, send me. Help me to live faithfully now. Maybe some of you just need renewed perspective. It's not gonna come by reading the news. It's gonna come by receiving Jesus. If you need a renewed perspective today, everything looks so bleak and dark, but without not being realistic, Worship Jesus today. Put him at the center. Allow his glory and his power to reshape your mind and your heart and send you out on mission with purpose in the world because the king is on the move. He is changing lives and one day we will be gathered with multitude upon multitude around the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. And we can drag that future moment into the present moment by worshiping him now. Amen? Let's do so. Father... We thank you that we have this hope that meets our deepest need. That you have sent Jesus, your son, not just as our individual savior, but the savior of the world. And by doing so, you've changed everything. Father, I pray first for those who have never trusted in Jesus right now, joining us online or in this room. I pray that they would put their faith in Jesus right now and be saved that they would say from their heart, Jesus, save me. There's no other hope in this world, no one who can save me but you.
And Father, I pray for those who have never fully taken up that call that you've sent them on mission. I pray that you would renew a sense of purpose in their hearts that they are your ambassadors to their neighbor and if you would so call them to the nations. God, I pray that we would today just say, yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you wherever you take me. And Lord, for those who need just renewed perspective, maybe everything's so dark or maybe just the messages they're hearing in the world has drowned out your word to them. God, I pray as we worship you now that we would regain heavenly perspective on this present world. And I pray that we would leave here full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit saying, God, send me. Would you do that in us now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.